When they first heard about this thing, it was crew expendable. The next time they sent in Marines, they were expendable too. What makes you think they're gonna care about a bunch of lifers who found God at the ass end of space? You really think they're gonna let you interfere with their plans for this thing? They think we're... we're crud. And they don't give a fuck about one friend of yours that's... that's died. Not one. Hello, everyone, and welcome to Frankenstein's podcast, where it's all about the monster. We're a creature feature podcast about monsters and why we love them. I'm Joe Prasca, one of your hosts, and with me is... Your other host, Khalid Hussain. What's up, Khalid? Not much, Joe. Just uh, hanging back on this Memorial Day evening and just excited to chat with you, buddy. Yeah, yeah, you're dropping the sausage bits. This is a Monday night we're recording, and I'm releasing this on a Tuesday, so I got a lot of work ahead of me. Dropping the sausage bits. Okay. Yeah, you know, you know, like you always like to talk about the sausage and the stuff, you know. I, I, no, I don't. And even if I did, I've never said dropping the sausage bits. Like, you can't just casually throw that in there. Like, it's like that's just associated with me and what I do. It's one of your slogans. I thought one of one of my slogans. Yeah, I have multiple. I have no slogans, Joe. Well, it's that one and like how the sausage is made. That's the other one. I feel like you're really pigeonholing me to this sausage thing that I offhandedly said once, like 50 episodes ago. I don't know. I just figure it's kind of your thing. I feel like you say it's my thing and then offer no evidence to that other than every other time you've said it's my thing. Fair. Uh, <laughs> anyway, Khalid, uh, welcome back. Xenomania Part 3. Part 3! We doing yeah. it! We're keeping on with our series, uh, exploring the Alien franchise one film at a time with special guests along the way. Khalid, are you ready for us to just bring in those special guests? I'm so ready, Joe. I'm really excited. because so ready. We got another episode that's kind of one of those superstar, all-star guest episodes. Uh, I could call them uh, Frankenstars, if you will, Khalid. Did you just come up with that on the spot? I actually planned it like a couple days ago. Yeah, okay, that's that's also impressive. Yeah, Frankenstars. Anyway, joining us, we have Mr. Joel H. Brewster, who's been on the podcast several times. You'll recognize him from episode 17 on Krampus, episode 37, the Candyman double feature, episode 39, Pumpkinhead, and our 50th anniversary, 50th anniversary, 50th episode special. Welcome back, Joel. Thank you so much for having me on again and for this great movie. Thank you guys so much. I'm so Thanks excited to be here. Thanks for coming. Welcome, friend. Good to have yeah. you back. Thank and, you. I'm Andrea Frankenstein. Uh, yeah, yes. <laughs> it's sticking. Um, and I'd be remiss if I didn't mention Joel also is the host of West Coast Strange, the great horror podcast. Has a, uh, Usually monthly, I think you're at right now, Joel, right? It is monthly. And sometimes now, because I've been really caught up with writing, it's slowed down. So I'll be back at it soon. So yeah, thank you so much. <laughs> yeah. And and your website, West Coast Strange, always a good place for nonstop horror, cool, cool shit. Uh, I recommend that. And uh, you got some cool writing film projects, short film projects on the road. So always into cool stuff, which uh, we'll give you some chance to plug that too towards the end. Thank I do you. have one quick aside. I'm just realizing when you say West Coast Strange, are you talking about the West Coast of like Canada? Yeah, it is. Wow. 
it's it's I just that never clicked for me. I just always assumed you just meant like California for no reason. Anyways, no. moving on. <laughs> yeah, that's why I assumed the, in that first episode he was on that he was in LA with you. Wait, do you live on the west coast of Canada? I do. I live in Victoria, so it's like beside Victoria. That's yeah, the west, west coast? coast. Yeah, yeah. Wow. Okay. Sorry. I'll I'll blow. My mind is blown, but I'll do that in private. Yeah. All right. Fuck. <laughs> All right. Well, that, that's a, that's a good uh, good segue with uh, the voice you hear in the background to introduce Frankenstein number two here tonight. With us also is Jim Tamberg, who you can hear on episode twenty six on Uzumaki, our one of our big book club episodes. Thirty eight RoboCop and fifty eight on Chainsaw Man. Jim is uh, also one of our uh, local artists here who made our logo, our banner, which you should definitely check out if you haven't seen some great work. Jim, welcome back. Thank you, Joe. I guess, yeah. I, thank you. <laughs> I don't know. I just I great. Just that was say, a great I intro. Just, <laughs> I was so thrown off. Like, who would have thought Khalid, the LA guy, would have been surprised that there are other coasts? You know, <laughs> I just don't hear. First of all, technically, I think it's the same coast. You know, it's it's still North America, right? Am I wrong? I, yes. I had to I had to stop myself from screaming that at you at that. Okay, moment. I just. Like, I'm just saying, I, yeah, the West I... The coast of Canada? We should get moving on. We have so much. <laughs> You're the one that re, like, relitigated this. I wanted to move on. I'm loving this so far already. Yeah. <laughs> I We're just, I'm, start. I don't think I'm the only person in the whole history of the world that has, like, one idea of the West Coast. I, I think that's fair. Look, that's good. But I have so many corrections to make for details that you guys missed in the other episodes. So, oh boy, we should, we should... here we go. Don't keep right. us waiting. All right, sorry. Moving on, Joe. Nitpick yep. Central about to come into. Uh, yep. All right, Khalid, why don't you give us? Why don't you give us a little, little, uh, little shakedown, brief rundown? I don't know. What I'm saying a little rundown <laughs> of what we're talking about. All right, so the brief shake rundown, as you put it. Uh, I call it a synopsis from our homeboy Google. That's the word. That's the word. <laughs> and uh, today, as you mentioned, we're talking about Aliens 3, the third in the franchise, directed by David Fincher, uh, written by Walter Hill, David Giller, Dan O'Bannon, and Ronald Shusett, and Larry Ferguson. <clears throat> and the synopsis goes a little something like this. Ellen Ripley is the only survivor when she crash lands on Fiorina 161, a bleak wasteland inhabited by former inmates of the planet's maximum security prison. Once again, Ripley must face skepticism and the alien as it hunts down the prisoners and guards. Without weapons or modern technology of any kind, Ripley leads the men into battle against the terrifying creature. Done. What a monster. They're creatures of the abstract that live off potential energy. It's alive! All right. Before we dig into actually thoughts here, I wanted to I wanted to have a couple a couple things that uh, I wanted to say to Khalid about your synopsis here. Hmm. So I don't think Dan O'Bannon actually wrote anything on this. I think he's just credited as original characters, right? That's probably what it is. It just says screenplay, and then it's got all the names that are associated. So he might just get screenplay credit since it's based on his work. Just want to clarify so we don't tarnish his name here. Fair um, enough. Fair enough. And second, I want you, you. We corrected you before this, but it's Alien Cubed, Khalid. Yes. I don't think that's what it's actually called. Every time I <laughs> thank you, Joseph. I'm tired of this. Yes. Everywhere I've seen it like referenced, it's Alien Three, and it's the ninth just... Alien movie. 
I think yeah. you're, you guys, I think you guys are pranking me and it's not a good prank. No. And lastly, I want to mention that uh, for listeners who are watching along with us, uh, this we we all chose to watch the assembly cut, which um, is tend to be considered the more complete version of the film. The theatrical has uh, I'm going to I'm going to break down some of the big significant differences between the two cuts. But the theatrical has um, some other like plotting issues where things were cut out that um, left the viewer not making a whole lot of sense. Um, and uh yeah, so we watched the fuller version of it. I know there are people who swear by the theatrical version, so if you it's one if you're one of those people, uh, we apologize. Sorry. Yeah. Anyway, that being said, uh, why don't we why don't we just do some just snapshot and uh, initial thoughts? Uh, I want to bring you into this, Joel, because I remember uh, one of the reasons I was ex- I mean I wanted to reach out to you anyway because you're a, a Frankenstar, but one of the reasons I reached out to you specifically for this one is I saw your you had a post on West Coast Strange about uh, four horror movies that came out in '92, which was the year that you your family moved to Canada, correct? That's right. Yeah, we moved from England to Canada in May second, nineteen ninety two. So every May second, I like kind of bring it up. Then nineteen ninety two this year for content, I was like, let me see what movies were coming out. And then I saw that this was one of the movies that came out that year. And yeah, and it's funny when you first when we first started talking about this, my memory of because I had to rewatch it, right? And my memory yeah. of this was, I think I thought Alien Three was Alien Four. So I was like, yeah, the one with the bait, well, the basketball, and like, not to spoil for everyone else to watch it. I was like, that scene with Ripley, the basketball, what, like, what, I remember Ryder, I think, is in the fourth one. Yeah, serves. yeah, she is. Yeah, I was thinking of that movie. I'm like, oh, okay. And then when I rewatched it, I'm like, oh, yeah, no, I was, I was, skipped a complete movie. Why is that the only thing anybody remembers about Alien Resurrection? Because that is the exact first thing that slips into my mind whenever Every I time. think of that movie as well. Like the basketball, it's the, basketball. Scene? It's the fucking basketball. It's nothing else. It's yeah, the basketball. Lots she of catches it, right? Too. Yeah. Yeah, she catches it like straight on. I remember that like scene like burned into my memory for some reason. She, it's a, and it's Ron very, Coleman's in it, yeah. yeah. Is this it's like a, a tricky basketball? Is that hard to do in the future? Actually, actually 100% no, but like it's incredible that she did the shot because it's not like doctored at all. She fades right. it behind the back. I don't know. This is trivia. I'm ruining. She skyhooks it. Just, she does like the Korean. Oh, yeah, you yes. are. It's, you were in for a ride for that movie. She does oh, it so good. That Ron... She's gonna do a skyhook. I'm into it. Yeah, there's a lot she of does... fun in four, Khalid. You're, 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 you'll be excited. It's so okay. good that Ron Perlman breaks character. <laughs> oh, I I'm gotta rewatch it. it. I'm yeah. into yeah. it. Anyway, sorry, Joel. Thoughts on Alien Three? Um. It's it's funny. I I liked the where the premise was going, but um, and I've wa- I watched both versions too, by the way, because I wanted to see that because I wanted to see the differences after that. So I crammed both versions on my daughter's birthday weekend when she's asleep. So that was really rough to. I was tired, but I Happy crammed both versions. So yeah, well, thank Happy you. I'll, I'll pass on to her. I hope pass on to her. Um, and I thought the assembly version was better one thing i did like better in the theatrical was the dog as opposed to the cow i don't know well, what that's interesting guys... yes. i want to i want to get into that, that too i yeah. i like the cow ah interesting Wait, it's a cow I... in the so in, in the direct... an oxen an oxen yeah Which one... did you watch the dog version khalid dang it you said that that was the one no i said the ox no but the quad you said the quadrilogy had the right one there's a theatrical and a and a special edition. It I checked have. and it didn't let me pick like special. Uh, all right. Well, I guess we're gonna have some compare and contrast here. All right. Well, fine. Yeah. So okay. So as Joel was mentioning in the theatrical cut, there is uh, the alien chestburster comes out from a dog. Mm-hmm. In the uh, assembly cut, it's an ox that is killed, 
and uh, eventually breaks out of the ox after it's hung up in like kind of like a butcher's area or like a weird kind of kitchen. Yeah. Yeah. I thought the dog was a little more brutal. So I like that because I'm like, oh, you killed the dog. That's pretty intense to do that, especially in the 90s. Um, so that's why I thought that was a little, that change was better. But overall, I, the assembly cut was, yeah, better. But yeah, we'll go into some more detail on some of the big changes. But yeah, the um, an interesting trivia piece. They actually had tried to dress up the dog in like alien like makeup and costuming as like and to be the alien on them in the movie. And oh. there's some actually test footage of like the alien, like a dog just having like an alien like head on and like a suit. And it's uh, I mean the poor little. I think the dog. I mean the dog doesn't look like that upset, but it just like didn't do anything that they wanted it to do. It's just like running around being like you know a, a happy dog. Yeah. And so they're like, this isn't gonna work. Oh, it's interesting. Yeah, it's good trivia. So anyway, Jim, what were your thoughts initially? Honestly, of the original four Alien movies, this is maybe the one that I have the least to think about, and I. I've seen the least uh, like it, when alien resurrection came out, just like with you, I was in the age group where that was kind of my alien movie and that one's so bad. It's good. This one's just kind of like, it, it's got like six screenwriters and it shows, you know, like it's just, um, I, again, like Joel, I kind of appreciate that in a way, like it's cool that with these movies, they were so focused on reinventing them. And kind of going back to this, that's really something that Hollywood that has changed so much in the last 40 years, where Hollywood is just so hesitant to do anything new with anything. Like the fact that like back then, you know, studios were constantly being like, well, we can't just do the same thing over again. We got to find some new take on it. That's kind of good. And I, I appreciate the intention of things, but the none of the execution works. And I, the older I get, the more I have a problem with like just David Fincher and his kind of catalog and... I, even though this really necessarily isn't necessarily like his movie or whatever, I don't know. It's got, it's got a lot of nineties to it that, yeah, I don't know. Fair, fair points. Honestly, the, the most intense memories I have of this are playing the Genesis game. Um, (laughs) and, uh, well, the other one is probably not podcasts appropriate. I don't know. That's okay. Um, okay. I know Save it for the Patreon, which we don't have. <laughs> I mean, I could tell it. Okay. I don't know. I, I mean, we're yeah, waiting. We're know. waiting. Yeah. Okay. Jesus fucking Christ. So I saw Aliens way too young. Like, my my mom would, you know, try to not let us see horror movies, but my dad, when she wasn't around, didn't really care. Mm-hmm. He wanted to watch what he wanted to watch. And, you know, if the little gremlins would come up. So, like... For, for context, the earliest scrapbooks of my drawings when I started drawing when I was three are of Ninja Turtles, Batman, and the Alien. And, like, I have, like, I, I watch, like, I grew up watching Aliens. And I would, I remember, like, playing Pictionary and trying to draw the Alien. And it's just, like, a squiggle with, like, you know, a few lines coming off of it. And my sister kept drawing horses. And I kept drawing the Alien. And so we kept guessing which one was, like, playing Pictionary. Was it, we weren't playing it right. But... Um, so aliens were, have just been totally ingrained. Then Midwest Catholic, um, with a mom who is really conservative. And I don't know if you remember this show. I didn't get to go to, uh, sex ed class with everyone else. Yes, I do remember that. I had to sit outside and my mom was like, we'll, we'll cover that with you. 
which to her credit and my dad, they tried to. The only problem was the atmosphere around all that. I just wanted to get out of that situation as much as fucking possible, you know? So I kind of was just like, okay, I get it. I, I get it. Like, I no, I understand it all. But like, I, I didn't, like, I didn't know anything about sex until like, honest to God, I don't even want to say. So let's just say, um, when I started having specific dreams, they weren't, um, of a sexual nature. They were horror based. Right. Oh boy. Huh. And the very first one was literally like, I was just like in a dream and suddenly the aliens come in, which would kind of happen frequently. The aliens would like just be in the get dreams. And sometimes it was awful. Sometimes it wasn't bad. But then I remember like, just like the dream became intense and like, you know, I, I felt like a way I didn't feel before. And then finally I felt myself falling and suddenly I was like Ripley and I was falling back and my chest burst out just like the ending of the theatrical cut. Oh boy. And I woke up and I'd soiled the bed and I thought I'd pissed, I thought I'd pissed it. And I had this panic that I was in eighth grade and I'd pissed and I'd develop a bedwetting problem. And I like cleaned up the sheets and just for like weeks, just agonized. Oh my God. Like what's go like, what if somebody finds out? Like, what am I going to like wet myself? But yes, that is honest to God, just the Genesis game and really that moment. But it, every time this movie comes up, it reminds me of that nightmare. Like, oh. So if you, you have to keep that in the podcast. If you, <laughs> if, you want this. if you want to, I'm fine with it. Yeah, like Jimmy. maybe that'll help somebody who is like, I I have nothing I put Joel's like as a on. as a faithful listener, I'm telling you, this is what the fans want. I have okay. literally alien wet dream written down in my notes and like a circled and like question mark. My awkward teenage years are yours to mine for um if you think it'll get you gold. I like it. All right. <laughs> anyway, that being said, Say uh, after that, you son of a bitch. Um, no, I can't. I can't. I mean, that's just too good. Uh, <laughs> Khalid, um, you you heard a glimpse of it with Jim's description there, but another big difference from the version you watched to our version to the assembly cut at the end when she falls in, um, in the theatrical cut, the chest burster comes out, right? And oh, that the, happened in mine. Yeah, yeah, in the in the assembly cut, it does not come out. She just falls in on her own, kind of her own choice. And so, you mean into the infinite chasm of fire until she just disappears? Exactly. Yeah. Exactly. Terminator at, at like ten frames a second. Yeah, but it's like that's the thing, though. She just it like I don't think even it, within that they attempted to actually show her engulfed in flames. They just like shrunk her until she disappeared. <laughs> Interesting choices. Anyway, Khalid, what do you think of the movie? Man, this is uh this is rocky after the first two. Um as as Jimmy pointed out, yeah, it has a lot of screenwriters, which feels like the most obvious issue with this movie. Um I think what was so cool about the first two movies was that like in a lot of ways they were like genre defining within their eras and this one feels very much defined by the era it was shot in. Everything about it felt like Oh my god! Like the a knockoff. Font. It felt like a knockoff Verhoeven kind of a thing. Like just very misguided in like what it was trying to do, and just like that edge lordy '90s aspect of it with regards to like how they chose to characterize the prisoners. Like they very much went for like the Con Air type of characterization, but not even in the fun way where it's like, it's a plane full of prisoners and they're all like the worst psychos you could have. And like, they play that for comedy and stuff like that. Like there's like a, 
aliens way to do that where it's like you start having like more paxton type characters but they're like lawless cowboys or whatever but instead they like went the route of like they're all like messed up awful like monster criminals and they just are just like annoying and boring to like hear and watch (laughs) so so it's just like there's like a couple levels that just doesn't work dramaturgically you know and Um, they all look the same yeah exactly are you forgetting they explained it with the the double y chromosome I don't you remember how they completely explained why they were such even that just like was not that like for me it was just like the most like rudimentary like logic and I'm just like this is supposed to be like a sci-fi story like they're using like middle school rules of like well there's no girls here so they won't go crazy (laughs) and it's just like like it's such a like script by committee ass story that like it's really hard to like even be generous and like well they meant to do something with it like you can't even really give them that with this and i don't know man like just i've mentioned this in text to you already joe but there are a lot of speeches like Mm -hmm. so many speeches like it just felt very like sorkin-y without like any of that quality even like very sub sorkin material mm-hmm. um and yeah i don't know i that that we haven't even gotten to like the fact that the first like 15 to 30 minutes of this movie is just like actively ruining your memory of the movie before it mm, yeah it's just very can, can we just get into it because that's really like i'm most interested in that imagine like, imagine watching this movie as a child like holding Corporal Hicks like action figures and then seeing this movie and being like, well, wait, where's the guy I like? He's the melted corpse. Yeah, it's like, oh. He's the melted corpse. Yeah. And next to him is the drowned corpse of the little girl that we spent the entire last movie rooting for and like so happy she's alive. Turns out she's not alive because for some reason, even though this is Ripley's like second rodeo, she doesn't do a dummy check of the shuttle, I guess. Before going into cryo? Is that what we're being told? That like this horrific thing happened to characters we love? And then the only character that returns is like the melted android corpse of Lance Henriksen? That's that's what we're left with? <laughs> just his, his goopy, pussy eye just like leaking out as he tells us that even for an android, this is hell? What he's being forced to do right now? <laughs> that's... that's <laughs> That's the only fan service we get from the last movie. This movie hates aliens. Like I thought Rise of Skywalker was like the best example of like a movie hating its like predecessor. This movie like wants to take aliens out behind the barn and shoot it between the eyes. You know, like seriously, they, they juxtaposed the funeral of like two beloved characters from the last movie with a chestburster coming out of a poor helpless dog. Like they didn't want us to associate any pleasantness with aliens. It's so weird. Or Ox Khalid in the other version. Or yeah. Ox, whatever. Yeah, that is yeah. such a weird big difference. <laughs> so in the in the in the other version, the the assembly cut when they use the Ox, uh, it's like strung up on like a chain and it bursts out. Um, and, but yeah, but either way, the point is, I think that the idea of this, this alien that we encounter is called a runner. So it's like a quadruped and that's because it burst out of like the host. That's more, that's a, a quadruped itself. So the idea is that this is kind of taking that notion that they take on characteristics of the host. 
Yeah, you'd think with an ox it would have come out, you know, more like a stampeder or something, you know? Like, like bigger and bulkier? Yeah. Yeah, but, that's what uh, I feel. Yeah, there's. I mean, I think there's issues with it. I think I just like the ox because I think the dog made me sad. Uh-huh. Yeah, the dog made me sad too. But I thought that I was like, oh, I kind of this is kind of a messed up horror thing. I mean, I was like, oh, but it made me sad. I was like, oh, that's actually like you went for the thing that made me sad. I was like, that's such a bold move. That's the thing though, is that like it might not have been bad by itself because like you think about like the thing has already been around for a while at this point. And it's like that movie started with a possessed dog. Like if it was just the dog, we might be bummed, but it's like the gauntlet of like we have the dog, we have Newt's corpse getting sawed open and like and investigated, and like all of this like bummer stuff happening on top of it. It's yeah. just like, relentless for like for like 30 minutes. Mm-hmm. Oh, what, Khalid? You want a story about a mother connecting to a surrogate daughter? All oh, that smulchy shit? Fuck you, Khalid. No I, way. You know, what I, ch- you know what I don't children's want? Children's are for autopsies. Children's are for... <laughs> I, don't, I don't want David Fincher anywhere near any more action-adventure like sci-fi sequels. I, I do not <laughs> want to know what he has planned uh, for Avatar I 3. I have a fun fact about that, actually. <laughs> oh, here we go. About what? Fincher. This was Fincher's uh, first sci-fi movie, and he didn't do another sci-fi movie until last year, which was uh, Love, Death, and Robots. Everything else, like he's done fantasy, but he hasn't done a sci-fi movie until the Love, Death, and Robots episode, Bad Traveling. Because oh, he was mad like about sh- this? That's like a short well, I don't know about that, but I just thought that was like a really, like 20 no, years later, that was dude, his next one he did. It's because that's this isn't what he wants to do. Like, he no, basically yeah. just turned an alien movie into an episode of Mindhunter. It's so weird. Like, it's just a bunch of long, methodical conversations about, like, the alien and stuff like that. And then, like, at times, like, this alien, compared to the other ones, which is just, like, a ruthless hunter, has, like, great timing and, like, understands suspense and, like, just... <laughs> it blows out <laughs> candles. No, like, seriously. Like, humans like, somehow. This, like, I... like, this is Hannibal Lecter. Like, it's not the alien that we've been following. It's so, and it's just like, oh yeah, of course this guy was like, man, I really wish I could do something about the Zodiac Killer. Like, that's what he really wanted to be doing. I don't know if Joe has facts about like why, like, because um, I heard that Fincher was kind of not pressured to do this, but he was kind of set up to fail for this one. That's what uh, I heard. Yeah, I got, yeah. I got some, I got some deets here about that. Yeah, so um, he was a uh, pretty much a brand new director at this time uh as as you mentioned there's like a ton of script writers and he's going off of like just kind of a mess and i think ultimately he's trying to do the best but what we have to blame here is is both the studio mostly the studio a little bit fincher because i think that fincher was in prime like edgelord year so a lot of the really edgelord decisions were him like he actually i think he actually wanted the newt autopsy to be more graphic but like the special effects people were like we feel really uncomfortable about this and had to dial it back (laughs) we we already see a 10 year old girl's nipple like a lot yeah a lot it, a lot it's and all it, so uncomfortable and oh it's all God. it's all a it's all a like a like a prop like they didn't get the actors back at all like i think jim oh you, really joe no yeah. <laughs> yeah no i mean sometimes in death scenes they have the actors like there but the likeness they they had to use it but like you you, you told me this jim that like uh michael bean was like was so mad that he wasn't returning. He like sued them or like, right. Didn't he like, he like yeah. negotiated his price like more than he made for aliens because he wasn't returning just to use his likeness. Yep. Yeah. Like there were, I mean, there was a lot of hard feel like they were, Michael Bean was mad. Uh, James Cameron was pissed. He, he, he said a quote in a magazine where he's like, I could never be that cruel. And he said about this movie and uh, he uh, wasn't happy with what he did to the characters that he kind of like developed in aliens. 
and fans were like really not happy with about it. it was not a really great way to start uh after like coming off of something such as beloved as aliens and um and i think like with again with what fincher was trying to do with all these different scripts this was like the sixth iteration of a script that were they're trying to make for alien 3 um and i actually have a little bit of a breakdown of some of the other ideas that were rejected before this if you guys want to hear so yes. we know uh, one of the earliest ones, they approached William Gibson, who's kind of the like the father of like um, cyberpunk wrote Neuromancer. Um, and he wrote a script that was supposed to be like a two part script that was going to the first there would be two films. And the first film would follow Hicks and Newt waking up in like a mall, like a space station mall owned, owned by Wayland Yutani. And so it was going to kind of tie into like bring the corporatism to like a consumerism angle. And then the end of it, uh, Ripley would wake up and her movie would be the fourth movie. So it was like a two part movie, like a, like an infinity war Endgame kind of thing, you know, and they rejected it. They said it wasn't interesting. Um, I think there were a lot of cyberpunk elements to it being in this like future, like futuristic, like space station mall. And they also didn't want to fully commit to saying like, we're ha- we have to do two full movies. So they end up not going with it. And there were other scripts after that, from you know other scriptwriters, I have a website here I can put in the show notes. But there was another one where it was going to be like a monk planet that was that rejected all of technology, so it was all everything would be all wooden. There would be no like weapons other than like spears or something, which they kind of that kind of a holdover. You can see elements of that wooden like monk planet held over to the prison planet where they're like they found god and they don't have you know guns and anything like that um and i apparently i think one of the only holdovers from gibson's script is the barcodes on the neck that was something that he came up with but it's just like you can kind of see that this p this this script is just like i don't know like an amalgamation of a lot of things that came before it and just like disparate disparate elements that just don't quite fit and I mean, you guys. I mean, you guys all shared your thoughts. I didn't really share my initial thoughts, I suppose. But like, it's. I, I think this is a bad movie overall. It's a very bad. I think there are moments that are really great, and a few like I think the cinematography is really good. Like, we see it more in the assembly cut where they have the shots of the planet. But there's some like really good shots and like some good like framing that I think is really well done. Um, but it's just it, it, the the big like unfortunate thing is just it's really boring. Like so many of the characters are so uninteresting and so boring and even the ones with like the hint of like i thought charles dance's character was probably the one one of the ones with the most like hints of something interesting and he was killed off like there's there's an alien trope of like killing off characters you think are going to last longer and it really didn't work here i don't think i I I thought he was an android right up until he was killed (laughs) he had he had sex he did a whole bunch of other stuff he gave us his backstory and the whole time i was like nope you're an android and then strangest force love scene i've ever seen in my life too (laughs) well on one hand it's like i actually appreciate that if i was gonna die in that situation i would just be like is there any willing partner here (laughs) like (laughs) (laughs) like I, i don't know just to relieve my the stress. Thing is, like, yeah. That's such a weird, like heteronormative thing, even for the nineties of just like, Oh, well it's a Island full of dudes. As long as there's no girls, there will be no sexual urges. Even though like you're telling us a lot of these guys are like sex offenders. And it's like prison, even by that point, like we don't have to get into it, but it's like, I just, it's just like, so like narrow minded in how it thinks about like how the movie chooses to like, think about sex or like urges or anything. It's very, very confusing for like an otherwise like ahead of its time series. Yeah, that's completely true. No, I, I actually think a really good metaphor for the movie is the alien itself. 
because like in concept, like I actually, if we get, when we get into describing the monster, I'd like to go into it. I think that this actually like really helps the alien life cycle. Like they found a good way to go with it. That explains it makes the species make more sense until they mess it all up in Prometheus. Hmm. But like the alien just doesn't work in the vast majority of the scenes it is. It's composited in, there's kind of a charm to that, but it just, it, it takes something that is iconic and it just, like, there are some shots where the alien looks as good or fucking better than ever. Like, a few movements where, obviously, you're not seeing the whole thing. And it's just, like, the, you'll just see, like, a quick shot and you're just, like, What are you fuck. talking about? The animated renderings or, like, the actual, like, practical Like, when there's, there's, like, the practical effect of, like, when the alien goes up close to her face and stuff. Course, and there's yeah. a few There's a few other ones like that where, like, it really works there. But, like, the vast majority of the time, the alien just... It just doesn't work. It's not there and you're not scared by it. And that's kind of like this movie in a nutshell. That's a good point, Jim. And and uh, to, to what you were saying, just to, to bounce off that one, that, that scene uh, where it's like comes up really close to her face in the, in the infirmary there, that was a scene. That was another thing like Fincher had to like was fighting to get that scene in uh, shot. And the studio said, we don't like it. It's going to cost too much. Don't do it. And so he actually like took a camera and Sigourney Weaver and said, we're going to film this this without permission from the studio. And that like that scene's so iconic. So it's interesting that that almost like didn't go there. Just like that. It, it's illustrative of that like warring notion between studio and Fincher and like everything about this production is how fraught it was, you know? It's weird that that scene is the most iconic, probably memeable thing from the whole franchise. And it's right. from this movie. I find that so strange. <laughs> really I is. said the exact th- same thing to Joe when I, when I did this or when we were watching this, I was like, when he told me that little anecdote, and I'm like, that's the only thing anybody remembers from this franchise or from this movie. From a different, I thought that was from like a different alien. I was like, oh shit, yeah. that's from this one? Oh. I thought it was from yeah, Aliens right? and I must have missed it or something. Yeah. And then I saw it in this one and I was like, oh, okay, it's got yeah. that going for there it. There it is. I, I don't like, I really don't like David Fincher's work, but the man has an eye. He's like Zack Snyder, where I don't think I'd like the person if I met him. But like, unlike Zack Snyder, he actually knows how to make good move, like, or quote unquote, make kind of good movies that i just don't enjoy you know i mean i'm just <laughs> shocked films, that, like competent films i guess very diplomatic yeah. i got so much warning about this movie and even still i was like well it's fincher like how bad could it be and it's like the sense of pacing to this is so insane like the other two movies even though they totally go off in like pretty different directions by like the climax they still both had an understanding of like, okay, when everybody in this location knows that there's a xenomorph, it's all hands on deck. Like the characters are based around like their like need to survive. Not this movie. Like there are a couple of times when like enough people know that there's a xenomorph around and they still don't like get into high gear until like finally the like chief like corrections guy gets like sucked up into the ceiling like charles dance dies and they still have time for like five or six like heartfelt conversations or the really really condescending like uh prison abolitionist dude with the malcolm x frames you know what i'm talking about dylan uh yeah, charles dutton's character yeah charles dutton's character sucked so much like i hated it so much it was like such a straw man type character that was like there for like some like pseudo like prisoners or people too thing. And then like everything he did was just like, not what a person would do in that situation. Like he would just like keep doing that. Like Denzel, like far off stare. And he would just be like, I'm going to fight until that some bitch takes me down. Like just like saying like really insane things when everybody else is like terrified in a huddle, like trying to figure out what's happening. 
it was not it was it, it none of it like coalesced to make like an entertaining experience and like i'm just shocked that fincher like was a was like behind it <laughs> you know Can we oh go ahead jim no uh, uh, how about i was thinking just to balance this a little bit let's say a few nice things so I wanted to I wanted to bring up a few things that I liked. I think um, there uh, I mentioned already. Uh, I think this. I think it like like Jim was saying. I think it's shot really well. I think there's a lot of really great cinematography elements. I also wanted to say that I think this one does give a lot of really good opportunities for Sigourney Weaver as an actor. I think like when she was given time to grieve. I think in the assembly cut, she's given a lot more time of grief and just like moments of reflecting on losing Newt specifically. Those moments for her as an actor are really good. I still don't like the premise that they're based on that. We have to like kill off Newt in the beginning. I think that's a bad choice, but I thought that was like really good moments for her. Um, I think, uh, what else did I like? Um, gosh, now I'm, now I'm blanking. This is hard. I should have had stuff more. more stuff more <laughs> I, well, there's so I much. Oh, okay. 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 Um, <laughs> I think, I think that there's a, there's a, there's a compelling idea behind what I would almost say is like a f- almost film noir mystery piece to this that could have happened where the idea in all of the, uh, both the other movies is that, okay, an alien, we know it's an alien creature because they brought it aboard. In Aliens, mm-hmm. we know it's aliens, the alien creatures, once we are, once we see them. In this one, there's like an element of like, we know as the audience an alien, Ripley knows it's alien, but there's like, people are dying, and there's a piece there where they're like, oh, it could have been that crazy guy, the the uh, Walter Golick character played by Paul McGann. Um, they're like, it could have been that. And so like the idea that there could have been uh, seeds of a mystery almost like what it is picking them off that I think there's an interesting element to that I think there's an idea a seed of an idea that would could have been really cool and then I just have to say on, on a side note with that 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 Gallic character that the one who they like straight jacketed in the infirmary uh, his scene a lot of his scenes were cut in the theatrical so Khalid you didn't see that he actually leaves the infirmary and, and he's the one who lets the alien out of the trap yeah, he gets a whole subplot. Why? Yeah, because he has a whole subplot. Just like the idea that he, it's again like it's a holdover for from I believe the monk planet element. This like element of medievalism where he um, see he sees the the alien and kind of seizes it as like a divine thing almost. He calls it a dragon a few times, and so he thinks that he's supposed to let it go because like in the, in the infirmary when it kills Charles Dance and it leaves Ripley, it leaves him also. He's like, oh, I'm I'm supposed to help it. So he like lets it go and then gets eaten and killed like right away. But like he has kind of more of an arc in it and like oh yeah, because he kind of just disappears in the yeah. theatrical. Yeah, and just to, and just as a side, like in terms of an actor, like that, Paul McGann, he's the eighth Doctor in Doctor Who. Also, like unrecognizable here. I didn't recognize him. Yeah, he's great, but no. yeah, that's a whole thing. And so I think that I think I think there are a lot of themes there that are being played around with. None of them are really given enough like room to breathe. I think, but I think there's elements there that could make for an interesting film. I I don't love the choice of literally scaling back. <clears throat> Aliens made made the story epic, and I think they were trying to scale it back and like let's make it a, a like a more personal horror story once again. And I, I think that you I would have rather like jumped more off aliens and seen how could we expand the world more interestingly. And I don't think this really expanded the world, but I like, I I like if you're going to take this movie in a vacuum, the idea that the actual victory can't really Ripley notices like she can't win. 
uh, she can't defeat the company. She can't defeat the aliens on a grander scale. So her victory at the end is a very personal victory. She's like, I, I have this last thing I can do. I can, I can stop you from getting this queen, uh, the, the queen embryo that's inside of her. And she wins in that sense. It's a very personal victory rather than like a, a grandiose one. And I think for what the movie is trying to say, I think that's a good moment for her. So anyway, those are things I like. Do, do you guys have anything else you liked? I do, I guess. Um, outside of the movie, I like that Sigourney Weaver made a lot more money for this one because I think she was a producer on this. Yeah. So I, I enjoyed that for her, especially in the time when this came out and like well-deserved for like how much of an icon she was. And um, I don't know, I guess like it's a, oh, it's not that good of a, I was going to say it's not that good of a directorial debut, debut for, for Fincher, but like it's, I guess that's a lot to handle because it's his first movie, isn't it? If I believe so. Yeah. Yeah. So it's like as his first movie, I think this was a lot to handle. Like you're coming in after two heavyweights who just dropped. I guess they're, they weren't even heavyweights at the time, but like the two people that dropped like these fantastic movies and the third one coming in there. And I agree with you, Joe, that they were trying to go for a more grounded element that, yeah, it didn't really land as well. I was trying to be nice when I was coming into the podcast. I didn't want to shit on someone's favorite movie before I, when I first started <laughs> talking here. I'd be like, yeah, I didn't know if I really liked it. Then you guys would be like, you loved it. But um, yeah, I, I just thought that there were some ideas they, they went for that could have been pulled up. I like the premise of like the prison. I thought that could have been a cooler premise. Um, but I just don't think they really executed that properly. But then the prisoners, like everyone said, here were kind of boring. So. Yeah, it's kind of tough to find something I exactly I loved. I, I did like Charles Dance's scenes. I thought he was good up until he died. And I did like, um, uh, what's his name, Hutton? The black guy. Uh, I liked his. Charles Dutton. Yeah, Dutton. I liked his uh, opening. I did like his monologue, uh, his monologue, if it wasn't cut to how it was cut to. I just thought it like seemed kind of a cool situation, but I just thought that it was just not handled well. So I feel like I said I liked that, but also I shit on it, so. <laughs> uh, off to the next person to see what they looked about. I actually kind of like Dylan too. Like maybe maybe that's just because I haven't seen the theatrical cut in so long, and he gets better. But I think his character, like it's it's you know it's ridiculous and whatever. But at least he's given some. Yeah, I don't know. I like the way he's acted and whatever. Um, okay, things I like about this. So uh, to clarify to Joe, like, uh. With this sets, the one thing that I kind of wrote down is just that, like, um, it feels like a 90s music video, the sets to <laughs> me. Like, it's really obvious that David Fincher was directing 90s music videos, where especially if you were to, like, compare these sets to, like, the first Aliens, some of them are good, but then there's, like, like the one where it's, like, a round circular area and there's, like, a thing hanging down it or whatever, you know, and there's, like, some decorum on the wall. And there's some lights shining in from that decorum. But, like, if you were to do that in the first Aliens movie, those lights would be, I feel like, farther back. And it would give a sense of it. But, like, when you're looking at it, you can tell that the lights are shining up. And it gives dimension and whatever to the wall. But it feels, like, artificial. Like, why would light be shining up in that direction in that way? You know, it just it's just something that I kept feeling. And I guess it's cool that the that each three, like, you have the first one has Ridley Scott's excellent design and H.R. Giger and all that. Then you have the utilitarianism of, you know, James Cameron, where he's trying to make a much grander thing with so much le- or with not that much more budget. And then you have this one where, I mean, again, it doesn't necessarily look or feel like the other two. 
Um, and that's that's something that's kind of neat. But like, yeah, it. I guess actually, do I have anything nice to say about this film? <laughs> I guess I wasn't actually. I was waiting nice for thing. it. <laughs> I was like, where is this gonna come into? Okay, the one thing I like about this film is that they figure out the alien's life cycle. Like it now, so I don't know if this gets us into what is what a monster, but like in the first movie, the alien is is based off of like the wasps that will go in, infect or lay an egg into a caterpillar. And then the cat egg will grow into a, a grub, which will then eat its way through the caterpillar and get out of it. Right. That mm-hmm. was their original concept for the alien. Um, so, but then they cut the scene in the first movie, which explains how the eggs are made. So Jimmy Cameron sees that and he's just like, well, where did the eggs come from? And that kind of sends him down a rabbit hole of coming up with the idea of the queen and adding this colony to that. And it's, it's great. It's a fantastic movie, but I mean, it's still doesn't really make much sense why the aliens would like lay these eggs and then have this like two stage cycle to like then have to find another host to do it if they're supposed to be this like super advanced organism. But I think with this one where they kind of come up with doing it by introducing the runner, we now have a really interesting thing where it's like, to me at this movie, the aliens now kind of fit. And this is a strictly headcanon. I wouldn't do this, but I feel like if you've seen The Last of Us, they have the, the the cordyceps fungus in there. And like in real life, that's a thing where there's like one fungi for each kind of like insect. And that, that's what makes the fungus bad people in The Last of Us TV show and video games. And like in the jungle where that is, there's like one virus for kind of like each one. And whenever a particular bug's population grows too big, like termites or ants, they'll statistically run into this like fungi or they run into a chance of running into that more. And since it only infects them, it then reduces their population back to like regular sizes. So as I kind of fall to it, being that with this one, we established that the aliens like use the second host to create an imprint and kind of like, then they just have a, a, an alien drone that is adapted to whatever environment it needs to be, you know, for the species it is, it sort of turns the aliens into this like, apex predator of galactic civilizations like the great barrier of the fermi paradox that's how i always kind of saw it it's just like it's something that was either created or evolved and it can it can it can come out it gets discovered it like is immediately like dangerous adapting spreading itself it runs through all the spaceships or the planet and then it goes dormant for millions of years until somebody else comes by rediscovers it it immediately like can run through that that's how i really liked to picture the alien and i will say this movie because boy do they get rid of that for prometheus and alien like jimmy we had one rule if you come back on the podcast you can't keep bringing up the fermi paradox did i do it before (laughs) did i do it before (laughs) no i'm teasing you i like that theory a lot though (laughs) (laughs) yeah i really do that's i like that theory i like that theory yeah yeah because, yeah, I, I, I think it makes the aliens seem grand and it just makes their whole life cycle make sense where it's just like, yeah, just like whatever comes, they're going to be able to use it to reproduce themselves. And then they just hang out and wait, you know, I think the Prometheus movies use that to an extent. I don't know. I never saw Alien Covenant because I saw Prometheus. So I never I think saw Covenant, Alien Covenant touches on that. That sounds familiar to me in terms of like everything I saw in this movie made sense because of like. Didn't Covenant, the Android make him an Alien Covenant? I thought. Uh, I was out of her well, that. there's an element of that. We're going to we will believe me. We will get into it. In those <laughs> Actually, episodes, I'm sorry. Jim. I'm sorry. Well. And I will uh, reference it for yeah, sure. I'll, I'll um, keep my uh, good thing about the movie brief. 
Um, I like that they attempted like talking about prisoners this time, just in the sense of like that tradition of the first two movies, like kind of being a socioeconomic conversation between like what a corporation can do to like blue collar workers and then what a corporation can do to the military. And now it's like, although I don't think they landed the argument or like the, uh, the perspective that they were trying to have with it. I still appreciate like thematically that like it goes in that, in that direction. And I mean, I hope that they eventually come back to prisoners and try to do it justice. I don't know. They keep making alien stuff anyway, but like, I think there's something like really ripe in that, especially with like how we like think of like the prison population versus like a xenomorph. And like, I think in better hands that that's a really cool idea that should be explored. Oh, like yeah. the company using various prisons on this like entire prison planet to like right. with like to, like seeding them with the aliens and seeing like how this works, you know, like just using it as a test bed. That's actually be really cool. I think. Yeah, they could have also gone even further to make the prisoners like more like dynamic in the sense like if it's a company owned prison like what would they put somebody in a prison for like what if it was like somebody who was framed for something because they wanted to start a union or something you know mm. mm-hmm. like that I think like that there could have been cool elements. Oh to yeah, that. totally. Well, you know. In their defense, we did get a bunch of yelling bald guys, so that's something. Fair, fair. Yeah, we got the rape goggles. Don't forget those. <laughs> oh, yeah. Had to oh bring it up, God. Jim. Um, I do also want to say two two scenes that I thought were really cool. Um, I uh, I think the the callback to how they killed the alien in the end was kind of a fun with like the the lead and then like oh, shit. Uh, the water. I, I, yeah. I had that written down. I forgot. Oh, that, that was one was, of that, yours. That was yeah. my second. That was my second thing that I thought. That I'll, I was let, you, point I'll let you take it. What do you want to say? No, 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 Joe, I've talked enough. Go All ahead. Right. I, I just think that's a cool, like there was some foreshadowing to that, right? Like uh, in the, in the early in the movie, like the lead and then like cooling it off and, and like it breaking apart and that being the way, the way that they were able to uh, kind of, to pull it all together, this lead process. You, you haven't you haven't actually explained what what can the, you, the foreshadowing is. Can you actually do it? Okay, so early on in the scene, when they first run, when they first capture the alien, there's like a bucket full of like hot lead or something like that as part of the trap kind of thing. That kind of gets spilled and knocked over, and it's like collapsed on the ground there. And then they run the sprinklers because all the fire went off and shit. And when that happens, you see the lead bucket like pops open. And this isn't this isn't me or Joe. We didn't see this. This was Grant, our friend who was. I don't Shout know out Grant. Yes, Grant note, like called this immediately. And so at the end of the movie, when they're like turn on the sprinklers to get the hot lead and alien dead, like that bucket previews to show you know it's set up. It's a good setup and payoff. You know, mm. solid. Yeah, that was really cool, and uh, I really enjoyed uh, this. So I have a. Uh, a friend, a friend kind of like slash relative who does really love this movie. And so I texted him that we'd watch this and he mentioned one scene in particular that he is his favorite scene. And when that came, it made me laugh. It's the scene in the mess hall when the superintendent uh, Andrews is pulled up into the ceiling and there's just like a skip. There's just a beat. And then the one guy's just like, fuck. It's <laughs> <laughs> a good scene. That is a good scene. I also liked uh, at the end when like Ripley's trying to be like super cool and like do the walk away. She's like, if you want to come with, like I'm good. He's like, where? The basement. He goes, what? This is all the basement. Is that what he's <laughs> yeah. <like?"> yeah. <laughs> it's, everything's the basement. Is all, yeah, what are you talking about? That was so funny to me. Hey, oh. for, for anyone else, maybe it's just because everybody looked, but I feel like Pete Porswaith, who's in there, who's just a guy. Once you see his face, you'll know him. He's one of those actors. He's that guy. Did, yeah, like, did he just show up halfway through the movie? Because I was like, I thought 
Pete Portsweiss was in this. And I was like, oh, but we're not seeing him. And then like an hour or plus into the movie, suddenly he's like there in the crowd scenes. Like, was that just me or did anybody else feel like he's maybe he is early on i mean they all look the same to me dude i know it's just like grubby dudes and like, oh the guy from oh, yeah, i had to look up his face the guy from um the departed is where and i'm yes, thinking of yeah yes, yep. yes. Postal weight, yeah 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 i thought that too i thought it was like was i not paying attention like yeah <laughs> it's like he has such a distinctive face and suddenly it's just there and it's like how how did i not see him here yeah before, you know um what did uh what did you guys think of the reveal that uh ripley had the alien queen in her chest cavity um i think that is another like seed of a very interesting thing like the idea that the alien drone the runner in this case wouldn't attack her is is a cool concept that was cool because i thought it was like just like a corny like okay so it's like a moriarty sherlock dynamic yeah i'm glad it wasn't that but (laughs) this this makes that interesting and the the idea there's like an idea that there's like um uh, another like drone or something that's out that's setting out to protect the queen. I think they're like I think there are interesting things there that it just didn't feel like a lot of it was truly super fleshed out. It does help with the plot armor to explain why in every other time we see an alien or somebody is infected with an with an alien egg, it's like a matter of hours at most before yeah. it bursts out versus Ripley has like a week. Yeah, I guess. I guess if you make it the queen, then it's kind of like I don't know. Maybe she's she, got to gestate takes, longer. Yeah, she's got to gestate. Yeah. What do you, you, Khalid? You have thoughts, obviously. Um, I thought it was a good way to like explain the plot or p- plot armor, as was mentioned. I think that like keeping Rip Ripley out of like any immediate danger, but like she still recognizes the danger. I think that was a clever way to go about it. Um, I don't know. It just felt like. Uh, Sigourney Weaver just wanted out of this franchise, and like, she was like, I, "If I'm in this one, I gotta die." I've been in, th- I've been in two other ones. And she comes was- back though in four. Though. Uh, I was gonna say the problem with this one too. You, the problems you think you have right now, Cleed, wait till you see the fourth one, because oh, then it's God. like they should have just skipped this one and gone to that one with the premise of what happened. And do, do you know what I mean? I, I feel like that how they bring her back. I'm like, we well, might as well have just went and done that one and skipped over this whole side but totally i also I just know. feel like i don't buy that she wouldn't like off herself after Sit. everything she's been in like the whole idea that like she had to have a uh, dylan killer and like he wouldn't and then like i just it felt a little too like narratively contrived like yes. the fact that she wouldn't just like i just like i don't even think in the like oh yeah like she's so tough she could kill herself kind of thing i think that like she has seen two movies worth of devastation because of this thing. If she knows she has a queen in her and like, that is like the easiest alien kill she'll ever get. And I think she's going to take that. And I just don't think it like lines up with the character that we've seen built up over two movies that she would one, put all of that onto a stranger or two, like trust that they would even kill her in a way that guarantees that the thing would get out, wouldn't get out of her. Like, I I mean, she would, she would immediately immolate. She would self immolate. It's it's a sci like it's a space prison. They have to have some kind of like toilet sangria, you know, made of jet fuel or whatever that oh, she yeah, can yeah. just OD like that. That'd <laughs> prison, be my way prison to go. Wine. She just, yes, she just gets drunk on prison wine until she dies. Exactly. Uh, well, I respected it for what she did because I was like, you know what? I hate corporations as much as she does, so I can understand yeah. her just like kind of giving the corporations the figure and doing it right in front of them. I thought that was a good. Well, while, while I was very sense. taken aback when I watched the assembly cut or whatever it is, the special cut and the alien did not burst out of her chest at the end. I do yeah. after like discussing with Joe, I do think it kind of makes it 
uh, it, it is better because this was her choice. Like she didn't, she didn't like, she wasn't going to die either way. She could have like maybe saved herself and g- given them the alien queen. But instead she's like, she just chose to do what she didn't do way before then for some reason, but kept yeah. talking about wanting to do for some reason. Oh, God. It just, no, it felt it's like I said, contrived. And then yeah. that coupled with the molten lead thing, like that just felt like from the second they mentioned it, it was like, okay, so that's how they're going to kill the alien. And like, <laughs> they just like are trying so hard. And I'm just like, I get that you don't have guns, but like, there is like a lot of stuff that Ripley knows will kill it just from the other movies. Like there's a big gap between like guns and dumping molten lead in one specific space that you have to try and get the alien to get to. Like, I just feel like within that facility, they would have had other stuff. Also, also what is like the, <laughs> it doesn't the alien take like 30 seconds to kill Dylan. Isn't he just down there just like screaming like, ah, kill it, kill it, kill it, kill it. <laughs> and like, aren't they just like fumbling with the controls or something? I forget. I don't know. It took I, a little uh, longer than you'd think, yeah. yeah. Yeah, it's just like, it's just like, wait, he's still alive? Why did it just, like, pop his head? Uh, no, yeah, he's, like, talking mad shit from yeah, the thing. Like, oh, like, come on, come on, get me. That's all you got? <laughs> it's like, bro, like... Here go, Bell. Here go, So, uh, one, a couple more things I've got, but I want to be quick here. Uh, Lance Henriksen um, didn't really want to be in this movie at first because he thought it was too like depressing. Um, but he did say he did say he enjoyed being on the film, and I think that his sequences, like the bishop being reactivated, that was all an animatronic. They couldn't they, like he was just voicing it. But he mm-hmm. so he does come back in the end as a character uh, who claims to be a human that potentially the Bishop Android was modeled after is the implication. And he's a, a member of the company trying to convince Ripley to come back with them. I, f- um, I was going to ask you, Jim, what do you think about it? But I know you're oh, about to say, I fucking hate it, right? I fucking hate this so much. It's, it's the thing that star Wars always does where they're like, we have to take this big, huge sci-fi universe and have everything fucking link up, you know, and have like 20 people be responsible for every goddamn thing in the universe and have them all like related and shit. And it's it's there's nothing I hate more in world building than when it's instead of just Bishop being like, yeah, just a random model of Android. It's like, oh, he's he's based off of super even like maybe in the end, it's it, that he was lying. He wasn't a real human or whatever. But I don't know. It's just I hate that trope. Hate he was a, a real human in the end, right? Because yeah, he got brained in the head and it was and he was bleeding. Right. And there's was, theories uh, that. There's theories that maybe like it was a different model that uses like a different color, like because his the way his ears hanging off looks really goofy. Um, but l- there's like it's all it's all like I think online speculation fan canon who wanted to who wanted to be an android. But yeah. yeah, I don't know if that makes the movie any better. I don't know either. No. Yeah, but it's uh, yeah, it's it's a I don't know. It's a weird thing. Um, I do before we go into the monster itself. I just I like to bring up like the themes that were addressed in the movie that we haven't touched on yet, um, and just just to kind of like go into that. So like, of course, a big part of like it's a nihilistic movie. It's a very nihilism is a big theme. Um, I think uh, one thing that I thought was kind of interesting we didn't really touch on is the idea of like religion as something to control others. I have this quote from the writer Sarah Welch Larson, who's actually going to be a guest on one of our episodes coming up. And she wrote it in a book. She wrote the quote, patriarchal theologies that strip away variety and complexity in favor of inaccurate, simplified understandings of God. So the idea that it's not just religion for control, but it's religion that's exclusionary of women. And it's how it, how that reflects like just patriarchal theologies throughout history. 
And so that's something that's really seen in a microcosm here that was interesting. And the only, the other big one that I really wanted to touch on that I found from a author and film critic named Amy Taubin uh, is the abortion metaphor, which uh, she says, quote, Alien 3 tapped into the abortion me- metaphor, being pregnant with a monster hybrid, being forced to carry a fetus you don't want to term. Uh, her body may have become corrupted, but she is still defiant, never allowing the company, and she, she refers to as the corporate pro-lifers, to weaponize that. That's a cool angle. Yeah, I, I like I, that reading, yeah. I think that the movie doesn't do enough work to like get the credit for such a cool idea, but I think it touched on it. She's the, I, I give it a hundred, like that is a really cool reading and I give it a hundred percent to the woman who like did it. The yeah. movie did not earn that. That is her <laughs> being very generous to it and really thinking about cool stuff. And it, I think that part of it is that they don't even tell you that that's what's happening with Ripley until like the third act. So it's like oh. hard to really explore that idea in the movie. I think a better director, no offense, Fincher. I think that like a better <laughs> director in could have pulled that narrative off and it would have been really cool. And it would have been like a, like, I think it would have made it a more powerful movie. Um, I like that concept a lot though. I do yeah. really like that, that idea. Yeah, I, I really know. like that. Oh, it shows the time of the movie was made in, but if you're trying to make a movie that's about like a woman alone and isolated in an environment, it would have been probably great if they had brought in a woman to like explain to them what that's like. Hundred percent. You know, because yeah, just now, it's just such nineties edgelord shit, man. It's just, oh, I can't take it. Which is funny <laughs> because in um Black Christmas, the original Black Christmas, I think that was like written directed by like man, and they pulled off like a lot of like really because I watched I had to watch it recently for like last Christmas, and just there was a, a lot of there's talks about abortion in that. There's a lot of talks of. Like there's a there's a lot of like strong feminine fem, feminism messages in that movie, but um yeah this one didn't didn't really seem to pull that off. I mean it's getting like half like planted seeds kind of thing. Yeah, like, ideas that are there that just didn't really come to fruition in that sense. And mm-hmm. I, I like I like those readings. Like having those readings to watch the movie like makes it feel like better. But I I think you're all right that like I don't think that the effort was really there behind the scenes at the time. Like it's not it's hard to give credit to the film in for what other people have really attributed to it and to make it better for themselves so um i don't know and i and i think like like speaking of headcanon like headcanon has become like a lot of ways that people have made this better like oh this means this or this was actually this that's just not stated um like i don't know if you guys noticed too like in the beginning when they talk about newt um there's like unidentified like i think in the assembly cut it says 10 year old and in the theatrical it says like 12 year old girl who's killed um which is weird because like like there were like she's like eight or seven or eight yeah. so there's like all these like fan theories that um, perhaps she was switched out like or like there was a dummy body that was switched in or like all these different things of like maybe newt's still alive out there or like they maybe newt got in a couple adventures on the way or something like and got a little older in cryostasis so there's all these like weird things like inconsistencies well, that's what i thought that they making were going better. to that's what i like because i noticed some inconsistencies too i thought what they were like angling up to which would have made it a little less horrible is that like Newt somehow got out of cryo and realized there was like a face hugger. And like, that's like part of why she died was like trying to fight it or something. I thought they would at least give her that dignity, but that never came up. I can't no. wait for the Disney, the coming Disney plus miniseries that does the Obi-Wan with little oh, Leia, yeah, with like <laughs> Newt, Newt and Corporal Hicks on the, <laughs> <laughs> on the ship trying to, try- it's coming, people. It's coming, baby. A side adventure, yeah. You're yeah first. Six seasons coming yep. to Disney Plus. Should we uh should we monster it up, guys? 
What's yeah. monster? All right, I got actually a decent amount on this one, and, and Jim brought up a lot of great monster stuff already too. But in this one, so we, the xenomorph is this actually the first time they use the term xenomorph as like capital, right? Like the name of it. Um, but it's called the runner or the dragon often too. So behind the scenes, Stan Winston was unable to come back for this one and recommended Tom Woodruff Jr. and Alec Gillis, who were former uh, workers of his who just started their own company, uh, Amalgamated Dynamics. Um, Geiger, H.R. Geiger, was consulted to make a new design, making a bunch of sketches. Um, he only a few bits of his design made it into the the final design, which were uh, the alien running on all fours. He made it have more of a more lips, which was an, a thing that he wanted, and uh, he also like removed the tubes on the back for this like kind of runner design. He was not happy with how he was credited in, in the initial theatrical version, where it says like ba- alien designs based on. H.R. Geiger's rather than saying that he contributed to the specific design. So he was pr- pretty pissed off about how it was, um, how it was re- uh, re- represented. Um, like in the previous episodes, I'll go through a little bit of the life cycle here. We do see a chest burster in this where in this one coming out of the dog or the ox, depending on which version you watch. It's, di- it's quite different. It's much more fully formed. Um, I think, and then one thing, one way I thought that it kind of worked with the ox is it feels like maybe it was gestating longer and got a little bit bigger, and that might have been why it looked that way. Um, so I'm not sure, but uh, they are uh, in this in the assembly cut. You see like a CGI that was like something added in later on in 2003. I think the CGI like uh, chestburster runner running away from the ox. So we only see that. A little bit, but it's quite a bit bigger than Chessbursters puppets that we've seen in the past. So, uh, what do you guys think of that? That made me think back to the. This is related, I promise. It made me think back to the toys from the '90s, like the Bull Alien and stuff like that. And I was like, oh, they could have just one with that, which I think would have visually looked cooler. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure if anyone else had those action figures, but they had a bunch of action. I had to like look it up to make sure I wasn't crazy. But they had a bunch <laughs> of like action figures that were based from the alien movies and Xenomorphs and they're like different versions of them. There's a gorilla alien. There's a bull alien. They just sold them separately. And then I just had to see if they were connected to any movies and they weren't any movies, but hmm. I, I just feel like there's a lot of different ways they could have went with this, with the design of the monster. Yeah. But um, yeah, I, I, I feel bad about how they credited the creator though. That's, Oh my that, God. I remember like, this thing. Holy crap. We'll put it in the wow. show notes. See it, but yeah, those are kind of a throwback. And that's maybe th- when you were talking oh. about the concept of it, when yeah. I was going into this one, I was like, oh, is, is this where this is, is that where the bullying and those ones are coming from? So I just, yeah, I, yeah, sorry. I just kind of rambled on about No, that. that's, that's to- an inter- to- totally interesting point. Like there's a lot of different ways that they could have taken, like the only bit, the only other big difference between this alien runner and other ones, like, uh, yeah, again, like um, the skin is a little bit more brownish red as opposed to yeah. like usually gray black. Um, but otherwise, like it looks I mean, it, it also like I feel like just based on the virtue and I'm going to get into like the, the visual effects of it, like the compositing nature of it, like the scale of it is never quite clear. Like you don't know how big it is. And that's sometimes it looks really tiny. And, and I, yeah. that's like a, a uh, I don't know. Problem I mean, had, the time. oh, had they gone with like the less leave, like more ox like alien too, they could have used more like men in suits, you know, because it would have had a larger size. Yeah. Sort of that might, I don't know, that's hindsight 2020. So um, I think I mentioned earlier on the production team actually tried to use the actual dog dressed as a xenomorph to portray the the runner here. It didn't work out. Um, they the, the special effects team says they were, quote, laughably inept. 
decision <laughs> to try. Then they changed it to using a scale rod puppet of the creature that would be co- composited into the live action footage. And they also did have some full scale suits for the more close up shots, the ones that looked really good. So for for what uh, compositing is, it's like they film this like puppetry in like a different like uh, like a different camera and they were able to like inter interlay it on top of the scene that we're seeing. So um, it's, it's not CG. A lot of people say, Oh, it's bad CGI or it's bad visual like, graphics. It's, it's a different, they are, it is a practical effect, but it's like being digitally uh, in, in, uh, put onto the film. So it's, it's, it's an interesting technique that was used. And it's, and as Jim had said, kind of, it's kind of charming of this era, kind of interesting to see the evolution of like how special effects um, the, like the original practical effects are just so timeless. And like, sometimes when you start to get into this digital world, like it really dates the movie in some ways. Um, but ADI, so the, the, the effects co-founder, Tom Woodruff Jr., who I mentioned is the stunt performer who was in the alien suit. Mostly, um, the suits and the pup or the, so the puppets that we see the rod puppets, there were three that were made that were made of latex skin over like an articulated metal frame. The puppet was hand animated, requiring four people to manipulate it, one on the front legs, one on the rear legs, and another on the tail, and a final operator controlling the head and torso. For the shots where the creature like was upside down on the ceilings, they had an, uh, like an additional two puppeteers uh, to do each leg. Um, the puppet was generally filmed in front of a blue screen at a totally different studio in Los Angeles using that motion control camera, and then later composited onto the live action set footage. I just wish that he would have like taken a little like page out of Rip uh, Ridley Scott's version of like the less is more. I think we just got like exposed to seeing it like in pretty well lit spaces too often, and it just kind of took the effect away. You know, I understand the charm of like the tech at the time, and like, but like its movements were always just so jarring to me. Yeah, it's. I mean, it's just also just so hard to stack up to the previous two, which were just so iconic with their effects. Like they did so much, even with just so little too. Like, but well, like, that's the thing. It's like what you yeah. didn't see. Like it's exactly like that snippet that you had in uh, the episode about the first alien. Like Ridley Scott's whole thing was like he wanted like the monster to like be scarier in your mind. Exactly. It didn't want the guy in the suit feel like something that's really mysterious in the shadows. And yeah, you do see it a lot here. And I think it's it's very evident when you're when you're seeing the suits and where when you're seeing the composited images. And I think that the suits, the suit scenes ultimately hold up a lot more like that iconic scene with the alien right next to Ripley's face is like is really good. And there are other scenes where you see the alien like and it looks really, really cool. But uh, yeah, it's tough. And and I and I ultimately I do really like the idea of doing a different alien creature here, like the idea of the runner, something that takes on that form of the host or like something that's slightly different than Ripley had seen before. I think that's that's cool. And and, and there are some cool ideas at play for sure. It's going to be a deep 80s cut towards us that will also tie into your later Xenomania films. But yeah. uh, they could have used Jean-Claude Van Damme because they didn't end up using him for another movie that's somewhat in this franchise. Are you going to make us guess which one? Because I know. Khalid, do you know? Uh, yeah, I also know. Oh, Jim, do you know? Yes, Joe, I know. Okay. Go Yay, ahead. Go ahead, Joe. Predator. Yeah. <laughs> I love that fact. That's, that's Me too. Fun. They could have just used it for that. That would be like yeah. a really fun tie, especially how it all ties it to like the Predator versus Alien world. That would be like a really That would have been great. Yeah. I think a karate xenomorph would have been a lot better than a do- dog xenomorph. <laughs> no, he's, no, he's a French xenomorph or Belgium, whatever it is. <laughs> French? <laughs> <laughs> uh. 
Uh, yeah, but yeah. So I mean, there's not too much more to really dig into VFX wise. Like the the compositing and the rod puppets were kind of the big like new addition and some of the small changes to like the alien to make it more like of a runner. Oh, one other thing I did have. Um, there is like in more of like in fan communities, the intelligence of the runner is debated uh, as this one notably just kills people rather than taking people to be like to cocoon them or like establish hive as the warrior drones had in like aliens. So there's like people who've kind of made the case that since it came from like an ox or a dog, like the intelligence is more limited and the ones that come from the humans are more like thoughtful and trying to establish a colony. I don't know if that holds up, but that's some theories that people have. I mean, it kind of fits really well with somebody's own personal headcanon that might have been stated earlier. There it is. There it is. I don't know. Don't you dare bring it up. We already No third paradoxes. I'm just saying, I wish Ridley Scott had consulted me before making Prometheus, because boy, did he spoil that. (laughs) Yeah. So, yeah, it's, yeah. Anyway, uh, that's mostly what I got for the monsters. You guys have any other, like, thoughts about the the portrayal of the creature here? Um, I thought it was really gross when it was, like, punching its way out of the dog's chest. Yeah, that was, that's that was. I don't depressing. know how it looked for the cow, but for the dog, it was a very upsetting visual. It wasn't like, it wasn't like when uh, it jumps out of William Hurt in the first one. It was like, just like you see the chest, just like it looks like a fist, just like pressing out of a dog. It is a very sad one, especially because they kind of sell you the dog earlier. So even like sell you as a bad dog, so you're not like that make it any better. But they just sold as a very cute dog, which it was. And then like, yeah, it, it's yeah. So in that version, I did think that the. I can understand why they did not go with that. I don't remember what that's like, but I do remember that being a very visceral moment. And yeah, I can say from the ox thing, it's it's much more just kind of like quick and yeah. Um, no, this movie was very like relentless and like did not care about the viewer or like any sensitivity. It was very intense, which like you know that's not necessarily a deal breaker, but man again like coupling everything else that happens in that first 30 minutes like it is just a lot to ask a viewer to go through oh yeah joe i have some stuff it's not about this movie but i do have some some aliens things if you want alien trivia about the monster all right so in ridley scott's original idea for it it was supposed to be like a really fast like living with a short life cycle super dangerous creature so that's why they when they had it come out as the chest burster it's all white and hmm. then his original idea for it, because this one, the alien is more um, brownish, mm-hmm. and that actually kind of fits with a lot of H.R. Giger's uh, concepts for it. Um, the, the whole idea was, though, is that like the alien, it's getting bruised as it's growing and like moving around. And so it's oh. like skin is darkening because it keeps like doing that. And uh, again, with their original idea, it's just going to go find a bunch of people, build a nest, turn some of them into eggs, like create more of itself and then die off. That was their original concept for it hmm. in aliens. Um, I don't think you mentioned this in that one. One of the, the biggest change that they made to the design of the alien was that they put the ridges in to the skull because since James Cameron like wanted more of them and they had to kind of make the suits able to move more and do more with them, they were finding that the big heads that were just bulbous and dome like were just coming apart. So that was something that actually really confused me as a kid because switching back between Alien and Aliens, the Aliens from Aliens, they alien, yeah, they had they would, they have like a weird ridging to their kind of bulbous head thing. Uh, hmm. Fascinating. Also, uh, so Dano, this movie, 
like friend of the podcast, John Carpenter, there is like a, <laughs> there is, yes. John Carpenter made the first Alien movie because I don't know if you've seen this, Joe, do you know about this Dark Star? Mm. Yes, like, I know of Dark is, Star. Okay. Yeah. That, if you go and watch that, it's like, that movie is just Aliens. It's written by Dan O'Bannon. He literally, it flopped. And he got so pissed from it that he's basically like, I'm just going to make the same movie again, but I'm just going to put a lot of rape into it because he was so pissed that nobody liked the movie. And that's, it's true. Like, there's so many weird parallels, but instead, imagine, instead of the psychosexual, like, cyborg H.R. Giger thing, the alien is like a beach ball with feet. I'm not even shitting you. It's so weird, but if you're an alien completionist, like... Well, I gotta say it now. Yes, yes. It is, it is, uh, it, it is a... It is worth a watch. Dark Star is getting like a new like restoration, like physical media release that I want to get. And I want to do it on the podcast. Oh, also in James Cameron's script, which I've read. It's a weird um, xenomorph isn't capitalized, which in my opinion and a few other people on the Internet that I agree with and I want to be right, uh, means that like he, they weren't using the word as a term for the species. Um, they were just kind of being like, you know, how somebody referring to an animal might be like, it's a quadruped. Or whatever, because yeah, it just you, like literally means like alien shape changer, you know. So it's just like something like you know describing a marsupial or something in the context of how it's used in that movie. That's that's how I would interpret it to be done. But in this movie, they establish it as kind of like the official name of the species, which yeah, is another knock against it, I guess. And that's all. <laughs> all right. Well, I like that. Thanks, Jim. Um, before we go to our final segment of the show, I have a question that I wanted to ask you guys that I've asked our other guests and I just, we kind of like jumped right into this. So I didn't get a chance to, um, so Jim and Joel, uh, you could kind of answer this question like twofold a little bit. Why do you think like alien as a franchise has become so resonant as, as it has in like popular culture and just like the general like zeitgeist and like if unless if you'd rather take in this direction like why is it meaningful to you personally okay yeah jim do you want to answer first well other i already than, did, I already did the wet, second one other than wet dreams jim we're gonna find out real hard if my family actually listens to this because <laughs> I, I will know for sure in a few in a, like a week or so if i get a what the fuck <laughs> message from my siblings yeah. but um so nobody was doing this at the level it was. If you look at sci- horror movies, especially sci-fi horror movies prior to Aliens, you know, the, the quality of just set design, everything, the cinematography, the monster design, all of that, Alien kind of came in right at the moment with the right group of people and kind of the right idea to show, like, like Star Wars, what you could really do with special effects when you push them forward and how much they could add to a story. Um, And then aliens came and like kind of did it again in a different way. And uh, it was just like the right idea kind of at the right time under two ones. And it's like, you know, just little stuff like it has a female protagonist who survives at the end, but I don't think they even mentioned that Ripley is a woman in the script and she's not written like that. Like the, the, the character of Ripley doesn't, they never survive in horror movies, you know, they're the pessimists like, Oh, this isn't going to happen. But instead the person who was always right, instead of being kind of killed off, they're, they're shown to be right. Cause they were the most rational about this and they get to live and then they get to become a killing badass. And I don't know. It's just, it just wasn't done on that level of quality before. And I think that's why it's, 
And again, I saw it when I was like three and it's right up there with Batman and the Ninja Turtles as something that will never leave my brain. And I don't know. I don't know if that's a good thing. I don't know if I ever have kids, whether that's something that I'd repeat with them for obvious reasons that we don't need to bring up again. (laughs) (laughs) Uh, For for me, I just think that the whole franchise, I think, is so strong. I think outside of right now, specifically when... I'm going to get this outside of right now specifically that I think if you were to remove alien from like ever being released and you were to just make this movie alien one, like and aliens and put them out now, I think that like right now, if you put them out, there'd be like a lot of people complaining about how woke it is, which I think is comical. <laughs> I, I really do. I think it's, I think it's comical because <laughs> they'd be like, what's going on here. Right. You know, they'd be like complaining about that. But outside of that, I think that you could, Take this, if you remove this franchise and it never existed and you were to make it a hundred years from now, it'd be a hit because it's such a cool premise and such a cool story. And it just taps into a lot of themes that, that as a humans, everyone can kind of just get and like the fear of like the unknown in space and everything like that. And, and Ripley's such an interesting character. Or if you were to take it a hundred years ago and put it out in like the technology they had back then, even then it'd be a cool premise because again, the fear of the unknown and it brings a sense of wonder and the danger of the darkness of there. I just think that, that it just works whenever outside of this really strange time right now. And I still think it works right now because of the nostalgia factor. But I just, what I'm saying is I just think the story is just so strong by itself and it's kind of like a space slasher in a sense. So I don't know. I think the monsters and the characters just really work at any time. And yeah, they're so iconic and game changing. Joel, you are, you are so right about that, by the way, <laughs> like, Right, that, that only time right now. This like, little sliver oh, of time God. would work. <laughs> oh, but oh, also one like just just to speak to like the movie Alien, the first Alien has my favorite fourth wall break of any movie ever. Did you do you guys know about that? Like Joel, do you know about that? Joe, mm, not sure. So when 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 uh, I don't know how I found out about this. I did not like I watched it a billion times and then I kind of found out about it and I had to watch it again. And so when when uh, Ash uh, like when Bilbo when Bilbo Baggins is attacking Ripley, in that there's a moment where like the camera it's a handheld shot and the camera kind of moves around him as she's crawling on the ground and he's walking up towards her and then the cameraman like walks back and they've got a little alcove off of the like kitchen area where they have and there's like you know like beads hanging down from it I don't know if it's where they they keep the crystal shop on the <laughs> ship or whatever but. <laughs> Like there's beads in this doorway or like some kind of dangly thingy and the cameraman walks through it and it starts jingling. And just for a second, Ash turns to the camera and looks straight at you and then just looks back to what he's doing and goes back to that. Like you should go and look up that scene now because it's like one of the most subtle, coolest, like, I don't know. I think so much like even the fact that Ash was an android was just like such a twist that you would have never saw coming when you would like hear about it. Like, yeah. That's I so could cool. go on for hours. Yeah, I want to see that. So everybody look that up who's listening. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. All right. We should probably move on to our final segment of the show, folks. Uh, our last segment that we do is our <clears throat> What the Fandom segment, in which we each share one to two things that we are into at the moment, watching, reading, listening to, uh, whatever that may be. Uh, guests get to go last, so you get to think on it a little bit. Uh, we'll start with you, Khalid. You haven't spoken in a while. What the Fandom with you? Thanks for asking, Joe. Uh, my What the Fandom this week is going to be the Amazon Freebie. It's another Freebie show. I love Freebie. I, I, at this point, they need to be cutting me checks because I am getting so many views for them, I'm sure. Uh, but yeah, it's a new Freebie comedy series called uh, Primo. It's by uh, Shay Serrano, who is a famous uh, writer and 
I think he does a podcast too. But uh, yeah, he was a writer that did a book called uh, Hip Hop and Other Things. And then I think he did Basketball and Other Things. And he's done a few other things on top of that. Uh, other other things and yeah primo is his first foray into television writing and it's it's just a really fun show about uh that's loosely based on his life he grew up with five uncles and his mom raising him and so the show follows that and it's just a uh, it just really reminds me of like those like early 2000s comedies by like greg garcia and greg daniels even and just like just like a fun like neighborhood comedy about like a family in a community that kind of you know take the it takes a village to raise a child type of ethos that um that never stops being charming when done right and it's just a really fun breezy comedy i think all episodes are out at the time of this recording so yeah do yourself a favor and check it out if you want a fun laugh uh and uh joe <clears throat> what the fandom with you Thanks for asking, Khalid. Um, mine is a, a book I'm gonna, I'm, I started recently. It's an audio book. I'm actually listening to the audio. Uh, the narrator is really good, but it's called Between Two Fires uh, by Christopher uh, Buhlman, I believe is how you pronounce that. Um, it's a period piece slash fantasy horror set during the, the time of the Black Plague and follows kind of a disgraced French knight who like fell to like banditry and all that. But finds a a young girl who might be more than she sees who can kind of communicate with angels and stuff and they're just kind of wandering across the land going to you know different small towns in paris uh so it's a real landscape and there's historical like events that are happening but there's a lot of fantastical horror elements like there's demons that they're encountering monsters there's a speaking of nihilism there's a very nihilistic element bent to it that's uh that's really strong and this kind of like wandering disgraced knight character uh and just like the situations that the characters all find themselves in and like the hopelessness that's seen within this black plague of the idea of like the the whole concept of like god has left us and so the demons are running free um it's been kind of compared it's a it's very very, there's more christian elements to it and like historical elements to it but it's kind of been compared to the berserk manga a little bit um with a a tone that's kind of similar uh and like demons and kind of like just this unknown kind of thing they're kind of attributing meaning to um but i'm I'm about uh halfway through it at this point and it's uh it's really good i I, i'm really digging it it's heavy at times but the the horror elements are really fascinating it's really cool the way it like like brings that into like a historical context is really interesting. Um, it's, I think it's very well written. It's written in like a third person, like omniscient narration, which is, I think rubs some people the wrong way, but I think it's done pretty well here where it just jumps back and forth between perspectives, like pretty instantaneously. Um, it, it just kind of makes for an interesting, like all around picture of like something horrific that's happening and how we're all, how the, all the characters are handling it. But, uh, I, that's my fandom this weekend. Um, I'd recommend it. That being said, uh, I will shoot it over to Joel. What the fandom with you? Okay. Um, I've got, I should be plugging my own stuff, but I am going to skip that because I've got two things that I I, I have to talk about. Um, we'll, we'll be really quick with them. Uh, number one is this show called Sanctuary. This, it's called Sanctuary, not The Sanctuary. called Sanctuary. It's a Netflix TV series. It's from Japan, and it follows a bad boy sumo wrestler. Uh it is so good. I'm definitely going to write a post about it or probably a blog. Yeah, I'll probably do a blog post about it this week. I just finished it last week and it is so good. So addicting. Uh, the character that's the uh, star is just so fun to watch in every single scene. I just really like that show. 
fun fact about me, if I could do anything else in the world, it would be to be a sumo wrestler, but I actually do not have the metabolism to ever be that. So I went into writing. Um, <laughs> true story. I really love, love sumo. I don't know what it is, but I just think it's the coolest thing. So when I saw a show about sumo wrestling, I was like, holy shit, this is right up my alley. And it delivered beyond. It's very addicting and I loved it. Um, and my last, my other thing is the movie Influencer, which I had the pleasure to see at the uh, Blood in the Snow Festival in, in Toronto in November. And it just came out to uh, Amazon and Shutter uh, last Friday. It is a fantastic thriller. I'm going to say horror thriller. Uh, there's an actress in it named Cassandra Nowad, I think her last name, I think is how it sounds. Um, that movie is really, really good. It's getting great reviews on Rotten Tomatoes and such and for reviewers, but you are seeing the breakout performance of an actress um, in that one. It's She's been in other things before, but in this, she's absolutely phenomenal. You guys, I think you all like it, but uh, I had the pleasure of meeting her before the shooting, of, or sorry, before the, uh, the premiere of the movie at the festival, and she was very humble. I was like, oh yeah, I'm very excited to like, you know, for people to see the movie, but it was very like, um, really humble about it. And then I saw the movie, and I was like, holy shit, you undersold it. It was, it was such a good performance and a really good movie. Uh, influencer on... Um, Amazon and Shutter. Cool. Jimmy, what the fandom with you? Uh, to the surprise of no one, mine is a video game. So <laughs> um, there is a company called Nintendo. They make video games and consoles like the Switch. And on the Switch, very recently released, is a very big release. I'm speaking, of course, of Metroid Prime Remastered which Metroid Prime Remastered is a GameCube game. That is a console several, like when I was a kid. It was my first Metroid game. What is Metroid? Well, speaking of the fact that we're in Xenomania, Metroid is a series that was super influential right up there, like came a little bit after like Mario and Legend of Zelda with Nintendo's kind of like big ones. Um, And just Nintendo has never really, like they've made absolute masterpiece of it, but they've kind of... Like, they kind of just forgot how to do that for, like, two or three decades. And so you have this series here where literally it has one of the gaming's first, like, female characters, Samus Aran. Why is she, it is heavily influenced by, like, H.R. Giger aliens and the reason why Samus is a woman. And one of the first ones is basically because Ellen Ripley in Aliens, they're inspired by that. I think I'm pretty positive that's a direct um, thing for that. And uh, the series is just cool. It's fun. Uh, it, I mean, it's not for everyone, but it's more like kind of a platformer, but you wander around the levels and you get lost in the world. And Metroid Prime Remastered is, it's only 40 bucks. It is a GameCube game, but I think it's one of the best games of all time. And it's a very beautiful remake of it. And it, it's you, you have a thing where like, it's from the first person perspective, but the controls are much better than they were on the GameCube. And it's just this series should get more love and it's kind of a shame that it always gets overshadowed. But uh, yeah, considering that it's Xenomania in honor of that, we should uh, Sam, Samus, Samus or should be right up there with Ripley in my opinion. So give that, give that one a look. Great recommendations all around everybody. Um, wanted to say before we close out, thank you, Jim. Thank you, Joel, for uh, taking the time to be on our, uh, one of our Xenomania episodes. It was a pleasure to have you guys back. Thank you guys so much. And yeah, thank you guys so yeah. much. And second round to be back on this. This is really fun, guys. Thanks so much. Yeah. You like know, I said, Frankenstein's podcast royalty here. 
it's Fist funny Frankenstars because now I have a reference, a very unique reference for how how highly Khalid and Joe think of me, and it's in the Alien movies. Yeah. Like, <laughs> I am not close enough friends for Alien, not even close enough friends for Aliens, but I'm Aliens Aliens cubed baby, right? In the, I'm not I'm not Aliens Resurrection, but now now I know where I stand. <laughs> Fair enough. But yeah, thank you also for the amazing banner. Uh, it looks awesome, and your artwork is just unfuckwithable. It's super good. So good. Nope. Whenever you ask me for hope, like again, I've got my new PC built up, and so one of the big projects is I'm finding all the old files buried deep in my drives that I built for that, and I'm gonna try and start getting merch together for this kind of show and stuff and things like that. Because yeah, I was I was without a PC at home for like four or five months, so. Uh, hopefully yeah. we can get working on that. So look yeah. out for that. Wow. Yeah. Oh yeah. Um, do you guys, either of you guys want to plug anything of your own real quick before we uh, close out any projects, Jim, uh, Joel? Uh, no, it's just follow me on West coast strange on Instagram. Um, my Instagram stories are very chaotic. They're usually not mine. I just share whatever. Um, so yeah, follow me on West coast strange. I will be posting some stuff probably about some movies, but yeah, that's about it. I'll post all my stuff there and, Thank you guys so much for having me on the show. Uh, yeah, Joe, you keep calling me an artist, but like it's true. But also I have like nothing going on and I haven't updated any of my things in so long. So you don't really have to like follow me or whatever. But um, I don't know. Someday I'll get that together. We're working towards it. Things in the oven, that kind of thing. But it's just an honor to be here. And I always love when you guys let me be on. Oh, we love having you guys too. And we love having awesome discussions for all of you awesome listeners. Thank you for listening to another amazing episode of Frankenstein's podcast and another installment of Xenomania. Look out for uh, Alien Resurrection when that hits your airwaves. Uh, and until next time, creep it easy. Creep it easy.